Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. Stephen Long. Welcome to the uh, X Factor podcast, the podcast for leaders and uh, and by leaders. So today, uh, my guest is Colonel Sean Finnan of the United States Air Force. And I want to read a disclaimer first. Uh, the views presented are those of Colonel Sean Finnan and do not necessarily represent the Department of Defense or its components. So, Sean, thanks so much for uh, joining me today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, Doc Long, for having me. Excited to be here. Oh, great. So why don't you tell everybody uh, what you do and, uh, and who you are? Well, I guess a little bit about myself. I mean, first off, I'm a husband and a father. been married for quite a few years. I won't, you know, do the public math right this second, but and I got, I have three children, so a 13-year-old daughter, 11-year-old daughter, nine-year-old son. So first and foremost, husband, father. Like you said, uh, I'm a colonel in the United States Air Force, but I guess some kind of context on where my perspective comes from. I also grew up in the Air Force. My dad spent 30 years in the Air Force as a pilot, and so moved all around the country, spent a lot of time in different schools, et cetera. And, you know, my mom served right alongside him in the capacity of a military spouse, which is probably a lot harder of the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I also I grew up playing a lot of sports. And so I've carried a lot of those lessons in just through life on a lot of those, you know, be a role model, practice, you know, sacrifice for the betterment of the team. Those kind of uh, lessons, I think, apply a lot to both life and leadership. And then uh, what I do, that's, that's hard to pin down. Um, I would say first and foremost, I serve something bigger than myself. I think service comes in many forms and mine just happens to be in the Air Force, but there's all kinds of ways to serve others in something bigger than yourself. And so as, as you mentioned, I guess formally, I am the commander of the 86 operations group here in Ramstein Air Base, Germany which uh, com- is comprised of five different squadrons, very diverse mission set from flying C-130s and some DV type aircraft to aeromedical evacuation, and then some other kind of airfield type jobs of airfield management, air traffic control, weather, those kind of jobs. And so a very diverse organization. And so that's the formal part, but I would say really uh, I do my best to ensure that within my little sphere of influence that I keep the profession of arms, stay, you know, stay focused on the right things and healthy and of value. Well, it certainly is of great value, particularly in this day and age, because uh, there's just so much going on that it's, it's mind boggling. And so for, for not only what you do, but what you have to stay apprised of, I think everybody's you know, grateful for, for you and your service. All right, so uh, tell me, Sean, what do you think is the best aspect of being a leader? Well, first, I think I would not to say challenge you, but in the, in the assumption that you're asking me that question because of the position I'm in. And I think you would agree with me that you know, leadership isn't based on a position. So uh, you know, we all have the ability to be a leader. So I think... Um, you know, first off, especially in the organizations that I've led, I've, I've try, always tried to think of the most important person as what I call the tactical doer. And so that's the person, regardless of rank, who actually accomplishes the mission. So, you know, we can have really great strategy, operational approaches, 
But all of those things are contingent on being able to execute at the pointy end. And so the person who accomplishes that, I think, is the most important person in the organization. And everyone else, everyone exists to support and train and serve them. And so I often remind people, hey, remember who we work for. It's, it's not up the chain of command. So make sure that we're working downhill, so to speak. So, but I think, you know, one of the greatest aspects of being a leader, I think is just the ability to pay it forward. And, you know, to, to be a caretaker of our lineage, uh, you know, a steward of the profession to borrow a little of uh, James, Kerr, James Kerr and his book Legacy, where he talks about the All Blacks. And, you know, he says, leave the jersey in a better place. And so I really think that is the best aspect of being a leader is just to groom those that will replace us. And that's especially important in an enduring profession like, like the Air Force or the profession of arms, because it, it, it can and, and will die if we don't keep it alive and, and, and healthy. So that, you know, so, so by grooming, you know, the, the next, you know, the next group of leaders, you know, that succession plan. Uh, I would think that that's probably one of the more important responsibilities of leadership. So let me, let me ask you, Sean, so what are you looking for in terms of qualities or attributes or behaviors from people who would make it into that, you know, into that inner circle of people who you would look to groom? Oh, there's so many, so many dynamics that go into that, but I would say that really whether uh, I'm talking about uh, an officer who's going to replace me or a senior enlisted, I'm always looking at character, competence, and judgment. So oftentimes we, especially within the Air Force, we, we focus a lot on accomplishment. And that makes, that makes perfect sense because we need to perform a mission. But the, especially in the profession of arms, that performance is really about the, the ethical and effective mission effectiveness. And so in that, and when we do that, we instill a trust within the society that we serve. And that trust is, I think, more based on our character than it is really our performance. Because if we don't, if we perform the mission, but we don't do it in an ethical way, it erodes the trust. And so when we build that trust, you know, we're given quite a bit of autonomy to accomplish our mission. So it's kind of this revolving cycle. And so I would say that, that number one, it's the character. So we're, we're always preaching about just being someone of good character. And there's a lot of different character traits out there, um, you know, that we could go over. And then, you know, competence in that you need to be able to do the job that you've been assigned. And that and that changes as we move through our Air Force career. You know, as a young, whether enlisted or officer, my expectation is that they become the technical expert. They are tactically proficient. And that's not to say they don't have the potential to be in a leadership position, because I think even in that realm as a tactical expert, they, they lead through their tactical expertise. They provide an example, maybe instruction, maybe they're a part of a crew and that they lead in that regard. And then the last is judgment. Uh, I think I often tell those that I mentor, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what level of the organization you in, you are in, we are always struggling 
not struggling. We always have to think about our judgment and decisions. Is this a decision I can make or do I need to elevate this to my boss? And so it's this balancing act of getting people to make the hard call at their level with them giving them the tolerance to make mistakes with those decisions and that judgment. Because, you know, as been said before, right, you gain judgment by through, you know, bad decisions, really, and your experiences. And so you have to have some leeway in order to make some mistakes in order to develop that judgment. So I'd say character, competence and judgment is really what I'm looking at. When I'm when I'm evaluating, quote unquote, anyone, you know, and I think it's important to note that all three are fluid. Yeah, and absolutely. So, yeah, and and I think that's something for the listeners to really you know take hold of, is that they're all fluid and they can all be continued to be developed, and 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 they're really all developed through experiences, and and I think when uh, people take that approach of this is an opportunity to, to, you know, to develop judgment, you know, to develop even greater competence, and even to you know, expand my character, right? then that whole idea of the fear of failure tends to dissipate. Right? Right. Because you know, like what you were saying is that you know, you're, 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 you're working for something greater than yourself, but greater than you know, just what's in front of you. Right, and I think- Go ahead. And I think too, is like, as you, as you said, it, it's the journey mentality, right? That it, which is relates to this grooming your replacement. So replacing me isn't necessarily the end of your journey or even your journey at all. So it's just the fact that we keep the profession healthy and vibrant and moving forward. But th- that whole process is a journey, not a end state. And so I think when you have the journey mentality, you're, you're more conscious of those small wins and losses uh, because you, you understand that we're, we're not moving to an end state. We're just moving to a better state. Mm-hmm. And so it, that growth mindset uh, allows you to then say, okay, hey, I, maybe I screwed up this time, but I'm, I'm going to try a little better next time. And you're absolutely right on the fluidity of all three of those. I think, it, you know, it, it again relates to the growth mindset. If you ever think that you're fully baked, well, then you're done. You know, we all have room to grow in character, competence, and judgment. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what you said is, is prophetic, is that if you think you're fully baked, you are. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you might as well just stick a fork in you and, and, and take the next ride home. <laughs> right, right. Okay. All right. So um, let me ask you this, what advice would you give to other leaders regarding strategic execution? Not necessarily you know, composing or devising you know, a strategy, but as long as the strategy is sound, you know, how, how do you get people to execute that strategy you know, to the fullest degree possible? Well, I think, uh, again, it relates to this, this growth mindset. So one, in that the strategy is not to get to an end state, it's just to get better. It's a better state. And so therefore, the first is that you have this, this, this journey mentality. And then, you know, to execute the strategy, I think, you know, you have to think of risk and failure kind of on a scale. And so we often talk in the military about risk, whether it's risk to force or risk to mission, and that can come in all shapes and sizes. And that's, that scale of risk is really kind of between timid and reckless. 
And I think it goes in concert with the scale of failure between blameworthy and praiseworthy. And so we need to be able in our execution of the strategy, take risks that aren't reckless, right? But they're not timid either. And as mentioned previously, we have to be okay with failure, praiseworthy failure, not necessarily blameworthy. So, you know, and, and I think also in the execution of that, as you fail, you need to use those as opportunities, one for self-reflection, and then to just look on the organization, maybe what could I have done differently? What could we have done differently? Should, could I have given some more resources? Should I emphasize some training a little bit differently? But I think we often, we often focus on technical solutions. And I don't mean necessarily technology, but technical solutions in that we try to solve it via a technical process. So we say, hey, this is a problem. I'm, you know, I can ID it. I'm going to get some quick and easy, easy solutions. I'm going to institute a new process. And that works for something like, you know, a technical problem. Like if I have a process that's broken or I just need to, you know, clean up this protocol, that works. But often the problems that we're talking about in executing a long-term strategy are more adaptive challenges, very complex, take a long time to, to, to find a solution to. And it requires multiple changes in multiple places and things like, your values and your beliefs and your roles and relationships. And so what we, we sometimes the failure in of itself is not the problem. It's the fix we try to put on that failure where we don't identify this as an adaptive problem. So I think when we try to link strategy and execution, we need to one, we need to make sure we're attacking the right problem, executing the, the right way to get to that strategy. And I think too, that, as, as crazy as this world is, as complex as it's becoming, I think we also need to remember what is not changing. And so, you know, I, when I played football at the Air Force Academy, there was a sign in one of our meeting rooms and it said the consistent execution of aggressive fundamentals. And that, that really stuck with me for a long time and still does. And of course, they were talking about blocking and tackling and just the fundamentals of football. But I think it applies to so much more, especially in the leadership realm, in that you, if you can identify those key fundamentals of your organization and you can go after them aggressively and then you can consistently execute them over time, I think the gap between execution and strategies just naturally closes. And so we often, uh, we often get maybe confused with the complexity of today's world, but I think it's important to fall back to those fundamentals and, and one of the key fundamentals for me is, is that character that we talked about before. And so regardless of how technologically advanced this world gets, people's characters will still matter and the way you treat people. Relationships will absolutely matter. Yeah. You know, a couple of things came to mind as you were speaking, but it really, I think it all just, you know, uh, focus, dwells right into the, you know, the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset is that you know the, the strategy itself is not a is, is not a fixed document right is that you know you, you can adapt it as you go and so you know people who have a fixed mindset 
well, they're, they're not going to, they're not going to adapt, but people with a growth mindset, not only will they adapt, they're looking to adapt. Right. And so they, you know, so it's, it's, it's less than just adapting to a mistake, but they're actually anticipating and forecasting mistakes. Right. And they're, yeah. you know, they're, they're realizing their humanity right from the beginning. Right. Which, you know, which really opens up so many more possibilities. <laughs> okay. Right. As you go through this, but so let me ask you this, when it comes to, you know, those, those you know, that, that pipeline that you're looking to develop, and that ability to adapt, what are, you know, what, what are some of the things that, that, that really, you know, either raises a red flag or just pops in, pops, pops right at you go, wow, this person's got something. Well, I think it's, uh, you know, it, it certainly changes as different as you progress through, through a, a career, of course. So I think, you know, as, as I mentioned, the, the key task of a young officer or enlisted is to become a technical expert. So just by nature of that expectation, those who are the most proficient in those technical tasks, tactical tasks will kind of rise to the top. Mm -hmm. But the whole time, you know, we're always looking or supervisors are hopefully always looking at, you know, their character and judgment as well. So just because you're the best pilot doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be, you know, move on to the next position. Mm -hmm. I think because that's what's, what's very different about the Air Force than maybe some other careers or, you know, fields is that technical proficiency isn't necessarily all there is. If, if you want to be only a pilot, well, there's plenty of opportunities to do that outside of the Air Force. We need you to be more than just a technical expert. So therefore, you know, as you mature, we're looking for you to mature beyond just being a technical expert. And so I think maybe maybe a red flag would be, hey, just because someone's the best pilot in the squadron, but you know, they're they're not a good teammate or they have a poor attitude, well, that's certainly going to affect their progression throughout the, the hierarchy, the organization. And so I think, you know, of course, what you look for are those who are leading kind of above their level. And so when we, when we talk about promotion within the military, it's the potential to serve in the next higher grade. So it's, it's, it's almost like we're looking for those who are acting like the next higher rank already. And so there's different expectations at each rank. And, and, and don't get me wrong, there's some some difficulties with the way we do our promotion system, you know, it's, but it, because we are a very linear organization that, you know, kind of focuses on upward mobility in a, in a hierarchical mm -hmm. uh, organization. Uh, but so there's it, so therefore it becomes very competitive and sometimes in a sense, zero sum in which one person wins and another one has to lose. But, you know, the whole time we're always trying to find, the best leaders. And especially as you get older, your technical proficiency becomes less important and it's more about your leadership ability. You know, it, it just seems that, you know, as you were talking, is that, yeah, we're talking about strategic execution and executing the strategy, but you're really, but you're also pulling in concepts of human performance and talent optimization, you know, so they gain that technical mastery but then it's really about leadership effectiveness and how well that leader affects change within that 
you know, within that group who, who's being groomed for further, you know, leadership responsibilities. So you're, you're actually, you know, uh, basically coalescing and synthesizing all those, all, all, all the, all those uh, uh, competencies. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all, it's all connected. Right. And so if you, I think, you know, in the end, if, if leadership is just generally understood about, you know, communicating through words, actions, example, to influence people to move towards something worth doing, then you can't help but think about how effective leaders are, how you're going to change people in order to execute, to align strategy and execution. Of course, you're interested in how people perform. So yeah, I think it, it, it all interrelates. And I think sometimes that's, that's some of the complexity in the environment. We try to we try to chunk little sections when really they're all they're all interrelated, and I see that as one of my main jobs too is to be able, especially in the diverse organization like the 86OG, is hopefully I'm able to see all the interactions between seemingly non-connected mission sets or squadrons. And so, you know, the squadron leaders do a great job of talking with one another, but hopefully I can view the environment from a different perspective in order to make those connections for them and to hopefully leverage resources in the right place to, to further the mission. You know, it, it just shows you, you know, that the Air Force is, is a organization that's really built on human capital. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that, and that's a that is a tough. I'm not I'm not saying the Air Force doesn't do a good job taking care of people. Like I I lived my whole life within the Air Force, and it's been it's been a great experience. Uh, experience, pay, benefits, all those things. Mm -hmm. Human capital side, though, I think what you're alluding to more is um, it's it is a hard relationship between performance and accomplishment and kind of personal well-being it's it's a complex relationship that you know i've explored a little bit and i think the the key is that we think of accomplishment as just one piece of our overall well-being and it's not to say that accomplishments don't matter it's it's that it's just accomplishment is one piece of a, a larger well-being pie and so effectiveness of, uh, or how well you accomplish or achieve something will affect your well-being, but it's not the only piece of that. And so from a human capital perspective, the Air Force and all the services that I'm aware of, I think we're moving in the right direction in order to help our promotion systems and all our kind of structural organizations to try to value something beyond just performance. And that's a very hard job that, you know, hopefully smart people are thinking about because, you know, when we, when we promote based on achievement alone, how do you measure someone's character or, you know, their values? Yet those are hugely important things that we have to try to, to try to mesh. You know, the, the individual well-being and organizational accomplishment do not necessarily have to be diametrically opposed and mutually exclusive constructs. Absolutely. And when done correctly, that's when they're fused, uh, but that's the challenge. And that's really, yeah, that's, that's one of the challenges that leaders have. 
uh, but when done done correctly, the effects are exponential. Right, and I think um, it's no secret, but I th I think we we should never miss an opportunity co to connect the meaning and purpose of what we're doing to the larger mission or or effort. And so I think what what I try to emphasize is let's connect this seemingly you know trivial task or job and how does that fit into the larger picture? And so one, it's reminding people that what they do matters and how they do it matters. And so I think when people have a sense of purpose and they engage in that purpose with a positive attitude, it, it naturally leads to more accomplishment. And then, you know, we continually emphasize relationships, both building and maintaining strong relationships, because that forms that trust in the profession, both within the members themselves and to the society that we serve. Yeah, and that sense of purpose has an impact on just about everything that people do. And if they're clear about their purpose, then, you know, then there are significant uh, positive effects. But if they're not clear about it, that's where things can really get uh, discombobulated and confused. And that, that's, that, in, in some ways, that's the string that can be pulled that unravels the whole thing. Not just yeah, the, absolutely. But also, you know, within the organization. Yeah, and, and I've seen one of the biggest cancers is just cynicism, right? You lose trust in, in leadership and in the organization as a whole because if, if they lose their sense of purpose, then that cynicism just starts kind of eating away. You're exactly right. You know, and we live in such a cynical society, but the fact of the matter is that human, our, our human nature is that we're looking for purpose. Right? It's yeah. part of our evolutionary need. Right. right. So... And so when an organization actually can provide that purpose, even if they're coming from a cynical background, then they're going to be opened up to this whole new way of thinking and, and doing things. And that just, you know, is, is basically that, that, that that's just a mind blowing experience for, for some young people. So, yeah, right. it doesn't have to suck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think, uh, I mean, admittingly, I think the Air Force has a, a pretty easy job in in communicating our purpose right it's it's pretty front and center um you know you see the advertisements and, it, and i talked about it right up front it's about being a part of something bigger than yourself mm -hmm. and uh, the military is a fantastic way in order to to serve something bigger than yourself and so in and of itself there's a purpose right there so sometimes we just need to be reminded of that and you know when you get bogged down in the day-to-day -day tasks and you know headaches you know, being a civilian and coming from a part of the country that's not, you know, that that's, doesn't have a strong military presence in the New York City metropolitan area. Um, you know, being on the faculty at the Air Force Academy was just, it was, it was kind of like being a fly on the wall, you know, as a civilian. And seeing yeah. just how this organization is, is basically indoctrinating their next, you know, their, their, their future workforce. And, you know, that per, you know, that sense of purpose was instilled right, you know, right from the beginning. And um, um, you mentioned in, in what we were talking about before is uh, Marty Sagelman. Well, one of his um, uh, uh, students um, is, is a professor at the Penn also, um, Angie, Angie Duckworth, who developed this idea of grit. 
Okay. Right. And she actually studied the uh, army cadets and w- why they, uh, you know, why they were, you know, just were so resilient. And as I looked at the study and looked at her writings, I was thinking, you know, she's missing something. All right. Is that there's so many forces within that culture, you know, and, and, you know, obviously you're a graduate, but you can remember the first day of school every year and how many cadets were in the hallway, right? Not just the hallway, but in the stairwells before the first class, because they're all, you know, and they're all juniors, rising juniors. And if they take one step into a class, then they're committed, right? But I remember talking to cadets and telling me, you know, it's just so hard to quit. Right. And there's these other forces involved, but I think it has a lot to do with, okay, if I leave, then what's my purpose? Right. Right? And if you advocate that, you know, and, 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 and leave that up for adoption to another, to something else, that's, you know, as, as Jerry Seinfeld said, that's a big matzo ball hanging out there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and, and grit is a, you know, that's an effort within the Air Force and over here in Europe, which is, is great. I mean, it's it's really based on let's just get together and, and small group sessions and kind of talk about important resiliency type topics. But I think the interesting thing about, you know, the Air Force Academy, what you said and, and purpose in general, uh, especially within the military, is that I'm not naive to think that everyone, you know, joins for this larger purpose. There's a lot of reasons that people initially join the military. You know, maybe it's a job, maybe it's they want to fly airplanes. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they're looking for a way out of a hometown. There's all kinds of reasons. But I think the longer you stay in, the more you start to really internalize that purpose. And so it's great if we can get that earlier, you know, at the Air Force Academy, for instance, or other commissioning programs. But I'm not naive to think that everyone enters with this gung-ho purpose attitude. But hopefully by our example and the fact of that we, we stress it so much and that we actually have something worth doing, that people buy into that purpose. You know, those latent learning effects, the things that you can't see that are coming around the corner can be really powerful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Stick with it. You'll 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 see. You'll see what I'm talking about. All right. So uh, let me ask you this. Who were your leadership role models and uh, what did you learn from them? Oh, man, there's a, so many role models all throughout my life. Um, it'd be really tough to name you know, specifics. I suppose I would say my parents, though, first and foremost, you know, they're our first teachers or coaches or mm-hmm. counselors, everything. Um, and so they, they really instilled both in me, my, my brother and my sister, just good values. I think partly too, in that, you know, as we were moving around as young kids, uh, with, with my dad in the air force, you know, we learned, I think some good life skills of how to adapt, how to fit in, in some cases, how to make friends quickly, you know, the value of keeping your mouth shut in some cases, um, but the, my parents were, they're just, they're just good human beings. And so they would probably be my first role models. Uh, and because a lot of times I think, and, you know, I see it now, right. Leading organizations and parenting isn't that different. Right. And a lot of times we talk about, let's not separate the qualities that make us good husbands, fathers, friends, sons, daughters from those qualities that make us good airmen. They're really the same qualities. You know, you need to be a role model. You need to help out. You need to, 
praise when appropriate, discipline when appropriate, plan for the future. All those things apply in both cases. And so my parents did all that. Uh, I, I don't think I would name any specific leaders out there, but I would say the traits that were role model like, and that they were all authentic, all the people that I looked up to, uh, they were all in a sense vulnerable in that I think they, they were humble. And the way I would you know, define humble, of course, it's a modest view of your own importance on one hand, but I also think humility is a deep sense of self-awareness. And, it's, and it's, it is realizing that you're part of something bigger. And so you, and therefore you, you understand your strengths and, and therefore can, can find ways to contribute to the organization. And then you realize your weaknesses. And so therefore you know where to, you need to grow. And so the leaders that I, that I really looked up to were those authentic leaders who weren't being phony and who were humble. And, and that, that goes hand in hand, I think, with authentic, right? They, were, they, were, they used their strengths in the right way and they worked on their weaknesses. And in the end, I think their, their espoused values and their enacted values were in line. So what they said and what they did matched. And I think that's hugely important. You know, what you said about confidence and humility is really important because uh, I come across so many people who have a belief that, well, if, if you're confident, you can't be humble, or if you're humble, you can't be confident. And they're actually, you know, they're not, they're not related in any way. No. Grant, another professor at, uh, at Penn talks about uh, confident humility. And right. I think that's a really great way to, you know, to, to think about it is that you can be humble and can be confident at the same time. Uh, and yeah. that comes from what you were talking about, just that greater sense of self-awareness. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, when you cross the line from confident to cocky, well, now, now it's a different story. But, you know, confidence, absolutely. It's about knowing how you can best contribute and, and being trusting in yourself that your skills are, can match the situation. That's confidence. There's nothing wrong with that. And that matches perfectly with humility, in my opinion. Yeah. I don't, uh, you know, the, the way I define confidence is understanding the difference between what you can do and what you can't do. And when people are trying yeah. to do things they can't do, well, that's cockiness. But when people are trying are not trying to do things that they're perfectly capable of doing, right, that gets to be a problem as well. Yeah, so, absolutely. You know, so that self-awareness is really important, but you know, obviously, it's that it's that uh, humility that keeps you growing. But it's also part of the confidence that says, "Well, I can I can continue to grow because of all the other things that I have accomplished." Right. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. Right. So uh, let me ask you this: uh, uh, whether you're in uh, in Germany or, or Africa or some of the other places you've been, uh, St. Louis, I saw that you're at Scott Air Force Base. Uh, yeah. How, how do you uh, relax or how do you celebrate? Well, I, th you know, personally, uh, you know, I work out, I, I'm a, I'm a morning worker outer and I, I really enjoy kind of the solitude of the house at that time. Mm -hmm. So uh, I get up and, uh, you know, it's still dark out here and I walk my dog as kind of a warm up, uh, and then, and then get a workout. You know, I do a garage gym workout right now, just mm -hmm. kind of due to the circumstances. Uh, so, you know, that of course helps me relax. And, and I really, I end up, I often, you know, show up to work and say, hey, while I was walking my dog, I thought of this. 
you know, cause it's just a great time to just think, or sometimes I'll listen to an audio book or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, taking care of myself physically, I think working out is a good release and a relaxation. And then, you know, my family and I love to travel. My wife is an avid traveler, did a lot even before we were married. And then the Air Force has provided us an awesome opportunity, you know, to live over here in Europe. So, you know, last time we were here, every opportunity we had to kind of get out, see a different culture. I think that's an education in and of itself. And I'm, I'm so happy to be able to provide that to my kids mm-hmm. just to see different perspectives and cultures and eat new foods and experience new things. Now, granted, they they would complain about walking through another city to see another cathedral, but it'll be good for them in the end. So we, we travel a lot, but I think the, uh, you know, the celebration thing, uh, you know, we, you know, we, we, we celebrate birthdays, you know, in our family, make it a big deal for our kids, especially, but I think too, at the, at the office in, in that we celebrate, and it's not necessarily like today there's someone's birthday who was on Sunday. So we had a little kind of party and it's nothing crazy, something small, but mm-hmm. just the fact of kind of recognizing them and, and really the larger concept of just having fun at work mm-hmm. is kind of way we relax and celebrate. And I think that drives too into kind of a conversation about what's often termed work-life balance, which I think is a, is a misnomer one in that, you know, work is one thing and life is the other. And, uh, you know, and, and really what people are talking about is home, work and home. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and the, the f- if, if we really think a balance of even on both ends, I don't, that would be naive to think that. So I think, I think it's work home integration and harmony, some people have heard. And I think it's just what I don't also like about work-life balance is that it implies that you're two different people. And I talked about this earlier that I think we, we bring all of ourselves to work and we bring all of ourselves to home. And so I think when you have this, this more fluid, instead of there's a boundary here between work and home, then I think it allows you to, you know, be present at both and to kind of integrate and, and therefore the fun, the relaxation, the celebration isn't something you only do outside of work. You also do it at work. And so you know, and you have to be careful with that because I don't want people on the job all the time. But I think when we bring ourselves to home and to work and we're the same person in both, then that relaxation and fun and celebration can occur in both cases. Well, you know, when, when people do make, you know, a significant change between those two environments, it certainly represents an inconsistency of character. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something, and that's always a red flag. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And that goes back to, you know, hopefully, you know, we are the same, the qualities that make us a good father, husband, you know, whatever are the same that make us good airmen. So hopefully you're not flipping a switch at home or at work and you uh, you're consistent throughout. And like you said, someone of character all the time. Yeah. Well, Sean, I want to thank you so much for, for, for agreeing to do this. It's been a a pleasure and a privilege and uh, uh, I'd like to thank you for uh, all the work you do and keeping our country safe. So, well, thank, thank you, Doc Long. I really appreciate the opportunity. It was awesome talking to you and uh, really appreciate your thank you. So <laughs> thank you for all that you're doing for the leadership community.
All right. Well, thank, well my, my, certainly it's my pleasure. All right. So uh, thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you next time on the X Factor. <laughs>